This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Today we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Peter. Now Peter uh, is going to share a little bit about how we overcome uh, divisions within the body. I don't know about you, but the atmosphere of the external, the atmosphere of the world around us has had a way and unfortunately crept in the church. How many have seen that? Now if you're all on social media, I, I feel like it's a sandstorm, I don't know, with a bunch of grenades flown over my head, right? It's, it's like caution if you dare, because it's seen like all these positions, all these opinions, political stuff, your brothers and sisters and life groups, and I'm telling you, it comes in a different form, in different fashion. It is hostile out there, and yet it also has gotten even hostile in the church. Now, hostility in the church isn't a new thing, right? When you came to Acts, you found that there were certain negligences in the church. There were orphans and widows that weren't being fed because they focused on the word, but they neglected these other things. And so, so they established elders. When we see Paul and Barnabas, there was a disunity there where they had to split ways. Even Peter and Paul had differences of agreement on the Gentile inclusion as to whether or not the Gentiles could partake in the promise of Abraham. You go on and you hear about James, and James speaks about the injustices of the church where certain wealthy individuals could have access to the table of God's body, Jesus' body, and yet if you were poor, you were not allowed access to the table. See, injustice and this equity and equality has always been something that's been a part of the church. And I mean, there's multiple and multiple and multiple examples. So why is it any different that we don't don't experience it today. How many know we experience it today? Anytime you get broken people in a the room, they mess up things. Come on now. Let's be real, right? I mean, when you tried to marry that person, you married an imperfect person. I know you had that expectation that they would be perfect. You knew that everything was going to go great, right? Until you have your first argument. You go, man, it's really hard. I mean, even if you're the same color, you're like, you're from Mars, I'm from Venus. We're in some different places here. Like, where did you get that crazy idea? Come on now, be honest. Right? I don't care who you are. You have kids and you have family and you're like, I, I know I didn't birth that. That is crazy, right? Come on now. And then what you say is, Lord, I read the Bible. I think this is an amazing opportunity. Let me find a perfect church. Can I tell you, I have never found a perfect church. I've never found a perfect pastor. I serve a great pastor, but he's not perfect. Amen? Cool, right? And you're not perfect either. Amen? And the cool thing is, even if you could find the perfect pastor in the perfect church, if you or I show up at that church, we have just made that thing imperfect. We have just messed up a good thing. Amen? Now, the reality is, heaven is where all the perfect people go after we've been sanctified, made holy, we've got the blood of Jesus on us and all that, but that is not yet. And so while we're still living here on this earth, this rock, this place, we've got to deal with how we do church together. And what I want to tell you, if you want to make a shift out there, we have to learn how to make it work in here. Amen? Many of us want to try to fix out there, but we haven't learned how to master the unity that takes place in the house. Amen? Am I talking to somebody? 
So if the culture in here and there's chaos in here and disunity in here, there is no way we can say we're going to bring unity to the nations. That's not going to happen. But I believe we as the church in these end days and end times, when I look at the diversity of our church, let me tell you, this is a reflection of heaven. This is a moment, an opportunity that if we can crack this nut, if we can figure out how to shift this culture, this atmosphere, let me tell you, when we encounter the culture out there, people will flock from miles upon miles to encounter some kind of change of atmosphere on this earth and the hope of Jesus Christ through the gospel. See, the issue is this is a spiritual issue. I often see that we have abdicated our responsibility as the church to let unbelievers guide justice activities. But let me tell you, when you give it to them, they too will mess it up and they're going to put in other agendas and other things that God never intended. So we have the moral mandate, we have the ethical mandate, we have the spiritual mandate to be peacemakers on this earth. Amen? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. So it's important that we talk about unity. I truly have been broken to see my brothers and sisters in this church have interactions with one another another, they're going, wow, wow, Lord. I've been on conversations where brothers and sisters are in tears to say, pastor, you don't know what they posted. You don't know what they did. It kind of like brought up all the years of the experiences that I felt, and they're telling me it never existed. So as a church, can I tell you, we've got to figure out how we interact with one another, how we walk in unity, how we walk step in step, how do we walk arm in arm, and when we can figure this out, I'm telling you, then the world will look and peer into this and say, wow, this is what I want. This is what I desire. So this is the background. I want to give you Peter's passage here, and it's a powerful word. I really encourage you, if you're online, you got to share it because there's so much garbage out there. Here's, I believe, a word of truth that needs to go out there as well. First Peter 3, 8 through 12 says this. Finally, all of you, that's you and me, amen? That's you and me, have unity of mind sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from the evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Amen? That's a word. What's the church's responsibility? To seek peace and to pursue it. For the eyes, listen to this, of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So how do we create an atmosphere of change? The first thing I want you to write down as a point here is we've got to establish an atmosphere of honor. We have to establish an atmosphere of honor. See, Peter is dealing with contention in the atmosphere of the church, and so what he draws upon is if we can get honor right, then how we treat each other will be right. Amen. Now, let me give you kind of a small definition of honor. Honor is value in who you are apart from anything you do. 
Respect is often what you do kind of determines your placement in my life, right? So if you do a lot of great things, if you perform well, then much respect, awesome. Honor sees beyond duty and what you do and says you have value no matter what. Well, let me tell you, if we had valued life, we would have valued George Floyd as he has been murdered. It doesn't matter what he did or what he didn't do because we didn't honor him, he died. You see what I'm saying? And if we can set honor into the atmosphere, if we can set honor in the church, then how we interact, even in disagreements, in solutions, we can find a way. 1 Peter 2.18 says this, 2.16 through 18. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, he says. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, honor is going to have a lot of different ways. I honor those in the house, and I honor those out of the house. Why? Because the world and the church is looking. Are we a culture and an atmosphere of honor? Now, let me say this. Listen, this may just be an atmosphere issue in the culture. It may be an atmosphere in the church. This stuff applies to your own household. If you want to fix some marriage stuff, learn to honor your spouse. If you want to fix some family issues, learn to honor the family, and then all of a sudden things will shift. If you have some issues in your business, look to honor those employees and those employees, the, 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 the employer. I mean, tell me, honor changes everything because it finds value in who they are in Christ. 1 Peter 3, 8 says then, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So the question I want to ask today is how do we honor? I'm going to give you the first one. Unity, we have to seek to understand. You write that down in your notes if you're taking notes. Again, if you don't have the app, you can use that app. Get that note right here. But we've got to seek to understand rather than seek to be understood. How many feel that you're in arguments or conversations where you're trying to talk over the person to defend your position? Have you ever been there? Come on now. And we get offended that they're not getting it. Have you ever been there? I have many, many times. And so I feel like I have to articulate it a thousand more times and maybe my voice has to get louder until you get it. Right? Come on now, be honest. But the reality is, no one's communicating, I'm just talking. Communication takes listening and talking, and so the key here is help me understand what I don't understand. And the cool thing here, I want you to write this down, it's so important, unity is about my thoughts coming together with your thoughts and producing a new thought. See, the cool thing is, we don't know it all. You may think you know it all, I don't know it all. Right? How many know that? Some of you have teenagers that think they know it all, right? Come on now. Now you guys are not, a, that you guys are, you know, you've, you've had some time to sleep and, and wake up with some coffee. So I need some interaction here, right? Pastor, this is a tough crowd. Amen. They have the masks. So you're amen in me, amen. Okay. Amen. Preach. Hallelujah. This is life, guys. This is the answer to God's solution in this world. He says right here, James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, I know we kind of reverse that, right? We're quickly angry, we quickly speak, and we're very slow to listen. Let me tell you, in the household of faith, we should be quick to listen. 
You know, one of the coolest things I've had in the, the last couple of weeks from the George uh, Floyd murder is the amazing experience of sitting down with brothers and sisters and just asking them about their th- feelings and thoughts of the current matter. I love our, our leadership, Pastor Tom and Pastor Candy. He is such a leader in this area. He's even had staff meetings for the last two weeks where on Wednesday, he even got lunch for us to sit us down in little circles so we could just exchange some thoughts. And when that begins to happen, when we begin to have conversations, it begins to help our understanding. You know, I can tell you, I have grown so much by talking with some points that I never understood. Why? Because I'll be honest, I am white. Can you see me? I'm white. You know, it's true. And so I don't know everything. I'm trying to process things. It's not been my normal experience. And I've got to figure out really what my brother and my sister are saying in the things of the Lord. What are they going through? How are they processing? How do they think? And so really it's all about how do I enter their mind? How do I enter enter their understanding? How do I hear what they're trying to say? You're following me right now. It's not coming with an agenda of I have to establish for you an understanding of how I see it. The world, let them do that. And there's enough of that. Flip on any one of the media outlets, and I'm telling you, if you're getting, you know, relational cues from them, you're just going to be at war with everybody, right? Because that's how they do it. Let's just get crazy. Let's start attacking. And like our vision says, we don't tear down, we build up. We build up. Amen. Praise God. So one of the things here is, the key here is unity is about my thoughts coming together with your thoughts and producing a new thought. I remember a few years ago, I had the opportunity, we all watched, obviously, the Trayvon Martin case, and then certain experiences of racism and police brutality were popping up. And then by the time Ferguson came around, there was a movement by the name of Black Lives Matter. Come on now, you've heard it. It's very everywhere now. You'd have to be under a rock to not see it. And so at the time, I'll be honest, as a white guy, I didn't go public. I never go public really quickly. I'm just kind of understanding, like, what in the world does this Black Lives Matter mean? And so I trusted one of my dear friends here, Rev Kev, Pastor Kev, and I don't know where you're on the house, but can we give up, up for Rev and Kev? And so he and I got talking one day, and I said, listen, I got I to gotta understand, because when I hear Black Lives Matter, I tell you, I feel like it's like any other life doesn't matter. Come on now, if you're white, you know what I'm talking about. You're brown, any other group other than non-black, you know what I'm talking about. Now, is it okay we talk like this? Is this like a conversation here? And so I all of a sudden going, man, this is really rough. And he said, you know what? He had to help enlighten me. You know, we need some enlightenment. And I said, tell me what it means to you. What, what, what is it about this Black Lives Matter movement that means so much to you? He goes, Steve, When we say black lives matter, it doesn't mean that the other lives don't matter. It just means that our lives haven't felt like they've mattered much at all. So we're just trying to rectify the value of our lives just to be equal with everybody else. And when he told me that, I was like, mouth open, like revelation moment. I'm going, so I can't take offense by it? Nope, nope, you can't take offense by it. And can I see it's so important. So what we say is, yes, we support black lives because black lives matter. They may have not historically mattered in our society, but that's the war cry in this culture. Lives matter. Brown lives matter. Yes, white lives matter. But that's not, they're not the group here that we have to focus on. 
The real group that we need to focus on is the group that hasn't felt that they have mattered. And I'm telling you, just one conversation shifted that. Then I didn't feel that I had to apologize for being white. You understand? I didn't have to feel bad for being white. I didn't have to defend my whiteness. Are you, can, are you okay with this? This is a conversation now. But this is the reality. And so I want to encourage you before you go on a media, social media storm and you're throwing grenades and you're posting advertisements and politicians and you don't know who and the agendas that are behind those things that you're sharing. Let me tell you, just get in a room with a brother and sister and say, help me understand. Can you talk to me? Can you talk with me? Can, can you, can, I, I want to know. I can't tell you how many conversations Pastor Tom, our pastors have had, Pastor Nadine, Hugh Nelson. We've got some amazing staff members that have a variety of different experiences. Pastor Kevin, Chris on our team. I mean, so many that have shared their experiences and their stories and what they've learned. And I'm telling you, it's growing our understanding. We now understand it, amen? And that's important for us. We'll never grow or change if we can't understand each other. Neither can you grow in a marriage if you don't understand each other. If you're talking past each other, right, it never grows. The second thing we have to do is we have to not only get into the thinking, but we have to do number two, we have to have sympathy, which is a seek to feel. The first thing is I'm seeking to understand but it's not just about understanding alone. How many know it's not just about what you think, it's how you feel. So if I can talk to my brothers and sisters that are black, can I tell you what's amazing to help me feel is when you tell me your stories. You can tell me your stories and I'm telling you my heart breaks. When you see the video of George Floyd, your heart breaks. I'm telling you, right? I mean, how many know there's something to the key of the heart that I'm telling you, if you're hardened any there, whatever, God will go in there and say, you mean you've experienced this? Now, for those that have experienced that, who are my friends, who are black, you know what I say? I got your back. They mess with you, now they mess with me, amen? And that's how we as the church operate. Because it's our issue together, amen? It's not a black and white matter. It's a matter of the church fighting injustice and that is unjust and I've got to stand with my brother and my sister who are black and say, I stand with you, I support you, I walk with you. That's the war cry for the whole church. Too long have we neglected that or let the black community be the driver of it. Let me tell you, what I see on news is it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you're seeing every nation set together protests. And they're of all colors, yellow, black, brown, white, doesn't matter who you are, they're all protesting the same thing. But let me tell you about sympathy. Let me give it here. The Greek word is sympatheo. Sympatheo. Sim means with, patheo, feeling. I'm going to step into your feelings. I, I hear you, but I want to feel you. I don't just hear your words, but my heart breaks after I've had a conversation with you. This is exactly the same word that is used of Jesus. It says right here in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's stating the very obvious that Jesus came to die as a human, and so he feels what we as people have felt. He knows 
what it means to be thrown up upon a cross. He knows what it feels to have the temptations and the enemy come against him. He knows all those things. And he says, I'm sympathetic. I have empathy for you. I feel with you. So don't think that I have separated myself from that human experience. I've lived a human life. So the reality is, as a white guy, I haven't experienced those stories. I've never been stopped on the street because I looked suspicious. I've never had that experience of discrimination against me. I was never overlooked in my job because someone didn't agree with the color of the skin. So the reality here for me is just because it wasn't my experience doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But as I'm collecting the stories of my brothers and the faith and sisters and the faith and they're saying, oh, pastor, it's there. Then I go, wow, illuminating. Let's fight together, amen. So we see that sympathy and empathy is stepping into people's feelings. The key here is sympathy is about entering into the feelings of another's experiences. My black brothers and sisters, share your story. Your story is greater than a sharing of a post. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's fuel, it's, it's liquid, it's dynamite. It's something that we need to hear and that's what grips us because we're sick of it. There's a chaos in the atmosphere. The third thing we see right here is we've got to have a brotherly love. We have to seek to love. Romans 12.10 says like this, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. There it is again, honor. You know what a brotherly love is? It's a phileo love. It's a committed love. It's not based on whether you perform or not. I love you even when you can't return that to me. See, it's easy. How many know it's easy to love those who love you? It's very difficult to love those who disagree with you. It's very difficult to love those who are ignorant. Come on now. It's very difficult to love those individuals or give room or grace when they're saying crazy stuff around you. Come on now. Am I talking to somebody in the room? Come on now, right? It's very difficult to love those people that feel that they're coming against your pain and suffering and invalidating it by their own whatever experiences. We have to see that we have to love each other as brothers and sisters. Remember, we are made in the image of Christ Jesus. I have to first look through the skin to see who you are in Christ. As a Christian, yes, you may be black, yellow, red, white. They're precious in his sight, amen? But we are first and foremost Christians before we are defined by our ethnicity or race or language that we speak, amen? Yet I love about this is God loves the distinctions of our race and our ethnicity and the language we speak. He made it, amen? That's not going to change even in heaven you get up there. I mean, I'll give you a little bit of analogy. Could you imagine opening a bag of Skittles and all that was in there was a bunch of yellow? I mean, you'd go, where are the reds and the greens and the purples and all the colors, right? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be a part of church if they all look like me, right? I'm telling you, if you went to an all-white church, I'm telling you, worship would be pretty boring. I mean, people would be stuck in their, they'd just be like sitting here. I mean, have you seen it? You know, I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. No, if you throw some cultures in there, guess what? We're going to have a Holy Ghost party. Come on now. Amen. That's why I always love Pentecostal churches. 
because in most Pentecostal churches, you see a bunch of diversity and we get a little of this culture, we get a lot of that music, we get a little of this fire, we get a little, and I'm enjoying the diversity of what God has given to us, amen? That's the plan of heaven. That's where God is gonna take us. That's where we are. And so I gotta say, we've got to learn though to walk in unity. If you try to manage diversity, you have to know that unity will be something that you have to pursue very, very hard. I love our pastors as they, they've pastored overseas in, in ethnic communities, especially in Austria with nine different congregations, Africans, Asians, you name it, everybody. The color of the rainbow was in their church. How do you manage the diversity without letting one of the group take over? You follow? It's important because we as the people of God have to manage the diversity. It's a good thing because God has created it that way and we as the church have to uphold it and value it and care for it and go after it like I'm telling you, we go after it in unity around here. How many have heard the saying, when we're in unity, God releases the anointing? That's from our pastors, Pastor Tom and Pastor Katie. They know the anointing comes when unity is established. When the atmosphere of unity takes place, God can do anything. But when disunity comes, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what we attempt to do, we'll never get anywhere. Think of the Tower of Babel. The second the languages shift, it was like they were talking over each other. Whatever they were building, got broken down. The Word of God says, right, you know, and Jesus says, a house that's divided cannot stand. We have to be united. We have to walk arm in arm. We have to be a people that seek through brotherly love to love even in disagreement and difference. Can I say you can be, you can have a difference or a disagreement without being disagreeable. Come on now. I don't have to take offense with everything. I have to see that my brother and my sister, I love with the eyes of Jesus, and I'm gonna do it even without the expectation of return. Amen? The fourth thing is a tender heart. We've gotta to seek to forgive. A tender heart. How many know it's easy to get hardened in your heart? You can go along and you can be reading these things and, and going out there and all of a sudden, all these offenses can be picked up. How many have ever dealt with offense? Come on now, be honest, you've dealt offense. This is what an offense feels like. Somebody in the church, be honest, we're gonna keep it church. This is, this is a house meeting, right? This is a house meeting. You know, a, a person sends a grenade your way and, and it's like it throws into your lap and you decide like the offense, I'm gonna pick it up. And when you pick up the offense, guess what happens? It blows up in your face. It's so easy, I don't know, have you ever, if you go looking for offense, you can find it. How many know that to be true, right? I can search and find offense. The reality though is for the people of God, we've gotta be able to be seeking to forgive and yet look for forgiveness. If I just said something that kind of, I could read in my brother's eyes or read in my sister's eyes that I just offended them, I, I'll back, hey, hold up, back up. Did I just say something that maybe I, I put my foot in my mouth? Help me, forgive me. I wanna know what I said so I don't say that again. Amen, I, I remember pastor, we were sitting in a, in a, what should we not say, right? What is not helpful to say in this moment of chaos? Well, don't say this, pastor, don't say that. When you say this or say that, and that's not just coaching, we're sensitive because we don't wanna be a part of the problem. Are you following me? 
And this is what unity does. Unity seeks to say, Lord, keep a tender heart in my life. I don't want to be hardened. I don't want to be unmovable. I don't want to do that. I mean, Pharaoh hardened his heart and he lost everything. So we've got to be aware that we've got to easily be careful to not let that offense fall on us. And like a hook, Satan will throw that bait out there to see if you can grab a hold of that offense. And let me tell you, Satan's having a field day in the house of God when he's trying to get you to attack your brother and sister on this matter. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. A tender heart stays sensitive by rejecting the temptation of offense. Don't pick up the offense. Can you touch your neighbor or talk to your neighbor and say, don't pick up the offense. Don't pick up the offense. Don't do it. The last one, the humble mind, Peter says. We've got to learn and seek to submit. Now, what we're not saying is I'm submitting for somebody to become my doormat. That's not what we're saying. We're honoring them and submitting to them and allowing uh, God to work through them and to work in them, but I don't have to worry about my own identity or my own value, even if others don't recognize it. This is a humble mind. Uh, It's a confident mind. It's a mind that says, listen, my sense of strength and my sense of identity is not based on whether you like me or not. Can I be honest? There are some people that just won't like you. They won't like how you do your hair. But the reality is we have to respond in humility. Proverbs gives us a thought here on how we can do uh, humble actions. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Humility doesn't threaten your identity, your value, or position. It actually secures it. Humility is saying, you know, this world doesn't revolve around me. Have you ever thought that it revolved around you? Come on now. We sometimes process the world through our lenses. It's what we want. It's what we need. It's what we desire. And then once we get what we want, then we'll consider what you desire. It's quite possible that we all do that here and there. But God is trying to teach us We have to humble ourselves. I don't know about you, but Jesus had to learn this. The word of God says that he humbled himself even to the point of death. He stepped off the throne and he sat before human officials that he in one moment could have just with one word called an angel from heaven and just take him right to hell. I mean, he could have done anything. I mean, you've got a guy putting a crown of thorns in your head. I'm telling you how many wouldn't be offended and say, dead. You know what I mean? You would have just, I'm telling you, but he had to humble himself. When there's a guy that's driving a nail into the hands and to the feet, I'm telling you, there's a humility that says, God, they just do not understand what they're doing. And I'm telling you, you're going to find people in the faith that don't understand, and they're not always knowing what they're doing. Maybe their actions are ignorant. Maybe they're malicious. But how do we still find a humility and through our humility and through our love, it may be the very action that turns their hearts to the Lord. Amen. We got to give God praise in that point. Amen. So once we understand that this is an atmosphere of honor, once we've established the atmosphere of honor, then we have to establish the second atmosphere. And the second atmosphere is very similar. It's an atmosphere of righteousness and justice. 
an atmosphere of righteousness and justice. And I was tempted to use one word, but the reason why I use two words is because theologically we throw those words around and in our understanding in the church, they mean different things. Let me tell you, when the Bible speaks about righteousness or justice, if you go back to the original languages, it only gives you one word. But over the years, we decided to make two differences of word. Now, I'll show you where I'm going. I love this because there's a historical understanding to why we do what we do. Righteousness, if you talk to anybody, is usually the type of uh, kind of relationship that you focus between you and God. It's a very, what I would call like a vertical dimension. God, I want to grow righteous. I want to walk in holiness. I want sanctification to grow. It's very vertical. It's me and God kind of stuff. You know, how's your personal walk with God? My personal and private walk with God, your personal prayers with God, your staying in the vine, very God and me kind of feeling. That's what righteousness feels like. But there's another word for righteousness, and that word is justice. And when we hear the word justice, we often think about the relationship men have with other men, right? Man with man. But what the Bible speaks about justice and righteousness, they actually collapse the two words into one word. Righteousness is justice, and justice is righteousness. Now, if you could read Latin, it would be justicia, which would mean justice, and that is the same word for righteousness. If you're Spanish here and you open up your Bible, Santa Biblia, you would see that righteousness is justicia. You would find it in your Bibles. And so around the world, if you're not in the Western church, righteousness and justice are often one and the same thing. Now, let me show you where I'm going with it. Jesus gave us a law, and that law was the law of love. The law of love says, love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, right? And love your neighbor as your self. So love and the law of love has a connection and a commitment to my vertical relationship with God and my horizontal relationship with my man, my brother, my sister in Christ. But what we often do in our theological circles and in our churches, if we have emphasized this relationship, the vertical relationship, at the cost of the relationship we must have with our brothers and sisters. And so if you grew up in church like I did, it was all about being holy and sanctified and, and walking in righteousness and this and that, but I wasn't taught that I actually had to care about you. It sounds messed up. I Hear me, I know. How many feel it? So sometimes, yeah, you're right. I think churches tend to emphasize our commitment this way, but there doesn't seem to be as strong of a commitment this way. And, and let me give you a passage here. Why is this important? God says his throne is established on these two concepts. Psalms 89, 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So I want you to imagine here, if you could peer into heaven, you go up there, take an elevator, I don't know, you know, I mean, you, you know, you go up there, the heavens, you open, you walk in the throne room, the marble that sits before the throne of God has righteousness and justice. Everything God does is from that place. So it's not just that God is interested in our holiness, he is interested in our justice with one another. This is why Jesus not only deals with who you are with the Father and the relationship with the Father, but how it's demonstrated in love towards your brother and sister. 
He says, others will judge you based on your love with one another. They will know you are my disciples by your love with one another, amen? And so the point is, how do we do both? We have to recalibrate church. Most of our churches in America, not around the world, anywhere in the world, they have a deeper consciousness of the community connection they have with one another. In America, we're very independent. You know what I mean? You could be doing well. Your brother says, I just, I just, I can't, I can't make my payment for my rent. And you're like, okay, I'll pray for you. And you've got the means to pay the rent, but you won't do that because, well, you know, maybe he didn't manage his money properly. Be honest, right? Don't you feel it, that's happened, right? So we don't feel like we're sharing the pains and the sufferings in common. We're not walking with each other in common. And so what has happened is if, if there is a group within our church that says, I feel injustice in this area of racism, it's possible that the other groups say, well, you know, maybe you can kind of correct that, change that, vote, go do out, you know, run for office. That's true, but I want to also stand in the gap with you and together we're going to find a solution so that justice is experienced everywhere. Amen? And so justice has to be a church value. But remember, we're redefining it that justice and righteousness are one and the same word. How are you doing with the two dimensions? Are you better with the vertical? And are you neglecting or ignoring the, the horizontal? Jesus even says, like, listen, if your relationship with your brother is kind of messed up, I don't even want you having communion. Because I want you to fix the relationship before you have communion. Amen? Come on now. That's how much he values justice. He says, I don't really even want your tithe, right? Until you can figure out how to live at peace with your brother. Because you're sacrificing, I'm not going to receive that sacrifice if you're fighting within the body. This is how much God is interested in justice activity. My relationship with God and my relationship with man, they have to be managed at the same time. We did not get created to live in bubbles. God does not call us to live on mountaintops and be monks. He's put us with messy people like you and I that have a lot of issues and a lot of hangups and we're trying to do life together. We're trying to grow in the image of God together. We're trying to do this thing called life and we're trying to hold on till heaven comes, amen? But it's gonna get a little rough along the way, amen? But that's okay. God is calling us and driving us. It becomes a mission, it becomes a mandate and it becomes something than we pursue. This is an atmosphere of what righteousness and justice comes in. Let me give you right here. Jesus says this. It's important. I want to remind it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pastor Alex shared, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the one that's in need. It's the very same passage that we dealt with yesterday. Who's my neighbor? It's the neighbor who's unlike me that I'm gonna help. See, remember, righteousness and justice are one and the same. Let me give you the third thing that here is amazing. Once we establish an environment of honor, once we establish an environment of justice and righteousness, then we can get to the an atmosphere of blessing. 
Blessing is critical. How many want blessing in their life? Come on now. Raise your hand. You want blessing. That's okay. For those who don't want it, I'll take some blessing. Amen. I want some blessing. The word of God says this, how blessing and where blessing comes. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So the critical uh, invitation to draw a blessing in my life is based on whether or not I bless. Many of us want to be blessed, but we're not blessing. You following me? Now, this is not saying I have to bless what God has cursed. I'm not blessing evil. I'm speaking blessing over the house. I'm speaking blessing over that marriage. I'm speaking blessing over the house of God. I'm speaking blessing over the nation. When we've been doing our prayer walks, we are declaring things that are not yet as if they are, and we're trying to draw heaven's agenda here on earth. And then the atmosphere begins to shift. Then it begins to move. But I'm speaking like the prophet, blessing, and then blessing falls. And so what I want to encourage you here, the Word of God says that the, if you want to block blessings, then what you, you do two things. Number one, just go ahead and repay evil, right? If you want to bless the hand of God, repay evil for evil. They messed you, you're going to mess with them. They took this from you, you're going to take from them. Do you see what I'm saying? God says, don't do it that way. He goes on to say, don't do reviling for reviling. That is verbally attacking. Can I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the social media stuff and I'm saying, Lord, help us. It's devastating, church. We worship together. I've done encounters with you guys. Pastor Tom, we've been praying. We've been, we've been seeking an anointing, and I'm just seeing grenades launched. I mean, it's World War III out there. It's rough. And we're supposed to be the hope and the answer of the world, and yet we're attacking each other. We're throwing political ads up. I know I'm, I know I'm hitting some hard points here. You may not like me at the moment, but I'm telling you, this, is, this, this makes me break. This makes me cry. This makes me upset. It's a weight. It's a weight. It's like if you have children fighting and you can't stop it and you're going, just stop it. Learn to live at peace with one another. Amen? It hurts you. You don't want to see that. You don't want to experience that. And so what we're trying to do, and I believe this is God's word for all of us, is there's got to be a process of unity and a, an atmosphere of honor and an atmosphere of righteousness and justice and an atmosphere that says, if you want the blessing of God, do these things. Let me give you a passage that, that shows us how God commands blessings. Psalms 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard and on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. Listen to this, and it's important to underline. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life evermore. If you want God to command blessings, we have to walk in unity. God cannot bless disunity. He never has and he never will. If we want God to command it, we have to see that our anointing as a church, 
our Pentecostal distinctives, our service, our ministry. Even like Paul says, listen, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter what your gifts are. You're like clanging cymbals. The reality that we're experiencing right here, it doesn't matter if we gather or we're studying or going to SOD or doing encounters and this and that. If I don't care for the care of my brother and sister, I have missed it by miles. Come on now. And God will never bless it. He can't. He doesn't bless it that way. We have to operate differently from the world. We can't do what the world does. That's what the world does. It gets even. It attacks. It criticizes. It tweets. It does crazy stuff. What we have to do is sit down, grab arms, sit down over a cup of coffee and say, brother, help me understand. Help me feel. I'm committed to you. I'm walking with you. I love you. I, I want to know what you've gone through. Let's find out the solution together. Let's walk in unity. Can we do this together? Can we walk in unity? This is such an important word for us. Can I tell you, then the atmosphere of blessing produces some changes. Genesis 50, 20, it says right here, this is exactly what Joseph had. If you give you this kind of context, Joseph, who had been sold in slavery, think about the injustice he had experienced. He was sold in slavery. He had to serve a prison sentence because of injustice, right? Then he has to work his way through the courts and then into the palace. And then all of a sudden, he's literally given the whole control of Egypt. His brothers go to Egypt, if you remember, to seek out some help. And he's looking at the ones that caused some harm. Now, I don't know about you, but how many would say, it's my time to get even, be tempting, right? Let's throw them all in prison. Let's, let's drag them. Let's sell them in slavery. Let's see how they feel. Joseph says it like this. As for you, that's his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Let me tell you this, it's important. God is allowing the atmosphere of what we're experiencing so that we change something about how we do ministry today. If COVID didn't convince you that ministry has changed, this does convince you that ministry has changed. We've gotta be about people in greater ways. We can't just, just neglect the responsibilities of justice activities. And so what God says, what's gonna happen when the atmosphere happens, this is what I'm gonna do. He's gonna turn curses into blessings. The fears that are just covering the land, now people are walking in faith. The doubts that we would have, God just walks in and there's a, there's a sense of hope. I don't know about you, but it feels hopeless. God, is racism going to ever end? God says, listen, that's what I'm coming. That's the gospel that, yes, it's going to come. Have hope in it. This hatred is going to turn to love. This injustice is going to turn to justice. Confusion is going to turn into order. Chaos is going to turn into peace. Brokenness is going to turn into restoration. And separation is going to turn into reconciliation. So what do we need in this moment? We need the atmosphere that we're experiencing right now. As tense as it is, as difficult as it is, as hard as it is, right? Until the atmosphere shows us this moment, it's saying now it's time to act. We've got to change the atmosphere. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. 
Thank you for listening, and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.